0: For those of you who do not know me, let me see if that's a little louder. My name is Brandon. I'm the youth director here at Bethany. That means I work with the high schoolers and junior hires. And when it came to this subject today, Christian living, my brain went right to a youth like mentality. And the thought that came up was, how do I even Christian? And there was an emphasis there on the even. You just got to think of it like this. How do I even Christian. Maybe the slide will come up <laughs> momentarily. Thank you, Alexa, for helping pose for that. So I started to think back. How do I, personally, even Christian? And I started thinking to 17 when I truly committed myself to Christ and to doing his work. And I started with kids ministry. And then soon after, at about 20, I started working in youth rate youth ministry regularly, and finally by 21 in the summer, Jared and I had a conversation. I came away from that conversation going, okay, I think a career in youth ministry is what my calling is. From that point forward, I've questioned all of it multiple times, trying to figure out where I land with God. Now, you may think that youth ministry is just full of pizza and loud music and late nights And messy games, but that's not what God's calling me to do. See, God's calling me to do youth ministry to disciple students, to teach them about Jesus, to be there for them, to listen to them. Maybe the hardest and most important thing, to push my pride away and let God take over the ministry. Today we're going to talk about four big aspects of Christian living We're going to first take a look at how God's grace is not separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. We're going to look at God's commands for us. We're going to next look at how he equips us for combat. And finally, we're going to take a look at how we should be obedient to Christ. Let's first take a look at our first point. So we believe that God's grace is not separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. Okay, there's a lot of huge words there. One of those words, sanctifying, comes from sanctification, which is a word I've spent three or four class sessions trying to break down. Uh, And so let's kind of break this thing down a lot more fine. So by God's grace, we know that by God's grace we were brought into his kingdom through Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, we are now brought into his kingdom to do his purpose to make disciples and to baptize men, but we're going to get to that a little later. We are also given the Holy Spirit, who brings us through sanctification. Again, sanctification is a big word, and the best way I think I can make it easier to understand is it's the process as we go through with the Holy Spirit, and it's making us more like Jesus. That does not mean we are working for our salvation, But what it means is we are allowing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to work in our lives to become more like Jesus. We see this in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, all, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, we're in this process as we're going, growing towards Christ. I don't know how many of you have ever been on a diet before, but there's this magical thing in a diet called a cheat day. It's the thing we all wait for. It's the day where you can eat whatever food you want to eat. Well, see, here's how Christianity is different. There is no cheat day. You don't get a sin day. You don't get this day where you get to go out, you warn everybody as it's coming up on the calendar, I'm going to sin today. That's not what Christianity is about. You don't get a free pass to just go and do wrong. You're in God's grace. Now you're part of his purpose. And one of his things in his purpose is to grow more and more like him. So I asked the question Do you allow the Spirit to work in your life? Or do you just go on and do whatever you want? One of the songs I think that kind of goes through this, uh, kind of gives an analogy of what it's like to grow in Christ is a song by Switchfoot called Live It Well. I took a few lyrics from it. It says Take me broken and make me one, break the silence, make it a song. Life is short. I want to live it well. Live it well. One life, one story to tell. Life is short. I want to live it well. And you're the only one I'm living for. Awaken all my soul. It's pointing towards growing towards Christ. So we're supposed to be doing as Christians. We believe we're supposed to be doing that. The second thing we're going to talk about is we believe God's great commandment to love God and to love others. Now, I'm sure you've heard this verse before. Uh, It's in many of the Gospels. I'm going to read out of Mark today. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other great, there is no other commandment greater than these. See, if we truly believe that God is the greatest thing, he is the only hope, the only peace, the only love, all of this stuff in our life, then we're going to share it. See, we got to kind of take this back to the beginning and take a closer look at God's love for us within it. So if you take a look at the beginning, with the Trinity, there is this perfect love relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he loved us so much, his love outpoured. And when he created human beings in Genesis chapter 2, he breathed into them the breath of life. And when he did that, his love poured into them, and now the love that's in him is in us. We don't have to go far. Just one chapter over to find this thing called the fall, where Adam and Eve walked away from this relationship. And we've done it too. See, at that moment in time from that time over, sin is everywhere. And because of that sin, God is just. We deserve eternity in hell. Now, God is so loving for us that he gave a way for us to get out of that eternity in hell, but to spend eternity with him, to get back into that relationship that we broke. And that's through the line of Abraham and David, and we get the Messiah, Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again so that you can have eternal life. So that the love that overflows from him is now in you. We, we see in 1 John that God is love, and that God is in us. So if God is love, and he is perfect love, how can you say you have perfect love in your life without God? Can you? How should we properly love God, though, this God that's so loving? Uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 38, very similar passage says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great and first commandment. See, we were told to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and if we go back to Mark, it even says strength. That's everything we understand that sin has destroyed the original creation just look around people get sick people die buildings collapse mountains fall trees go down sin is everywhere <laughs> this the effect the only way we can properly function as people to properly function is through the power of Christ it's the only way is by giving him our heart our soul our mind and our strength We are called to love God, and we do this by showing we're in a committed relationship of love with him, giving to him first. We're to love him more than anything else. Do you love him more than anything else? Do your actions show it? Does your calendar show it? Does your lifestyle show it? See, doing this stuff is not going to save you. But it's believing truly that Jesus has come into your life. And when this happens, this is going to overflow from you. Another thing we see is he tells us to love others. We want to look closer what that looks like. We see in Matthew 22, verses 39, Jesus is adding on, and a second is like this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we've heard this before. We're supposed to love our neighbors. But why are we supposed to love other people? Well, let's look at John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So Jesus tells us to love one another. We should be able to stop right there. But we don't. We also know that he loved us first. See, we love other people because God is love, and that's overflowing from us into other people. See, if he is in us, then we are called to love. We see this in 1 John 4, 8-9. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we see that we're supposed to love because love is in us if we know God. But a warning takes place here. The warning is, if you do not love, then you don't know God. Is your life full of love for others? Or is maybe hatred higher up there? For me, when I think of a life full of love, I think of quite a few of you here in this room at this church who've shown me love and had impactful influences in my life. One thing that stuck out to me was uh, I live with Doug and Cindy, and at the back of uh, the hallway, there's this little like end table thing that probably has a better name that I don't know what it's called, but that's where they stick my mail, and they had gone away, and they just got back yesterday, but they had gone away, and they left me like this little stocking. Oh, there it is, yeah, so... There's a little stocking they left me, and I got to open that, and it was so amazing. It's just one of those little things. Uh, Another example was uh, a student gave me a card, and inside the card it said, thanks for not killing us this year. (laughs) So what does this love look like for others? Well, I want to take a look at two aspects. One is we believe we are called to care for one another, and we believe we're supposed to stand up for the justice of the oppressed. So I'm sure we've probably heard this verse before. 1 Corinthians thirteen four through 7 Love is patient and kind. Love does, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So we know that love encompasses so much stuff. You can make a whole sermon series just on the topic of love. It's not hard to do. But I want to zero in on one thing that myself and Christians seem to struggle with the most, and that's forgiveness. See, Christians seem to struggle with forgiveness, especially with other believers in the church. This is not to minimize when you are wronged by somebody. There is deep pain and deep hurt there. This also doesn't excuse the person who wrongs somebody from going and apologizing and making amends. But what it does is it lets us know, first off, unfortunately sin is in this world, and it's corrupted everything, and we all wrong each other. And friction is going to occur. We're going to rub people the wrong way. We're going to get close. We're going to do stuff. And we need to have love and forgiveness in our lives so we can forgive people who wrong us. See, it's not Star Wars. When you just can't forgive someone, you can't look at them and blow them up. It's actually going to hurt you more. When you can't forgive, it's going to sit and turn to anger. And it's going to ruin your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people, your friends and family, It will ruin your relationship with God. While while I was young, I had um, been watching my stepdad, and he had been fixing everything with duct tape, because everything can be fixed with duct tape. And he gave me a roll of duct tape. So when I was nine years old, I was in fourth grade, I was so excited I brought my duct tape to school, believe it or not. And there was another student who, him and I, when we were in second and third grade, we had some issues with each other, and even a little bit in fourth grade. And what ended up happening was, is he took my duct tape. Well, that was an issue. See, he took my duct tape, so I punched him. Now, that wasn't full of love. What that was, is that was an inability of myself to forgive him and show love to him. So instead of acting in love or acting nicely and saying, hey, can you give that back to me, I acted out of anger and I went to physical violence. It's not what I should have done. I am, I'm aware of that. First John 4.20 adds more about love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brothers, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is another warning. And it is it is absurd to claim you love God and hate somebody. If you're unwilling to forgive someone, there's a problem there. You need to go to God and pray to him now and allow the Holy Spirit to come and help you with that. See, How are you showing to be a child of God and say you're God's kid if you can't forgive, if you can't show love? Something very close is holding a record of wrongdoings. I'm sure we've all seen on sitcoms or TV shows where it's like the last season and the husband and wife are arguing and they bring up like arguments from season one and season two and they're everywhere But it's all too true in real life. And it's really heartbreaking when you see it in married couples who bring up things from years in the past. Because that's not a marriage at that point that's full of Christ's love. It's one ruled by something else. Like I said, there are so many things dealing with love. Uh, I listed a few of them. There are so many more on the sermon notes. Uh, We see a couple live in harmony with one another, bear with each other, encourage one another, care for one another. But the next one I want us to look on is justice for the oppressed. When I talk about justice for the oppressed, I'm not talking about today's cultural or political aspirations. I'm talking about the oppression that occurs in the world that God tells us to stand up for. We need to understand we live in a world, and it's a world that has fallen. It's full of unjust conditions and ill-treatment. And we as Christians believe we are stand to stand up for that, stand up against those ill treatments, because it's what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. See, giving to people who need the help who are oppressed is giving out of an act of love towards God. Shouldn't be doing it for ourselves. So who are the oppressed we should stand up for? Well, I, I'm sure you've seen in the Old and New Testament alike, I have uh, scriptures everywhere in multiple prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, New Testament and James. We have stuff in Proverbs. We see the big three seem to be the widows, the orphans, and the poor. But it's not just limited to that. We're supposed to show love to these people. I remember going on a missions trip in high school and an elementary student had bought too much Del Taco. For some of you, one taco is too much Del Taco. But this person had bought too much Del Taco and instead of trying to shove it down and overeat, or instead of just throwing it away, this student went to the leaders and they went and found people who needed the food and could use it. See, that student was showing God's love. In Psalms 82, we see that we are to deliver others from the hands of the wicked. In Proverbs 31, we see we are supposed to speak up for others. We're supposed to speak up for the voiceless, the unborn, the people who cannot speak for themselves. We believe that standing up for justice of the oppressed is not just the current cultural agenda. But it's standing up for the oppression like Jesus would with love and understanding, in fighting issues like abortion, or as it really is, murder of an unborn. See, so it was really easy to find what Planned Parenthood said about it. This was their quote. Uh, an estimated number of unintended pregnancies averted by Planned Parenthood contraceptive services each year is 515,000. To give you a number, I think when I looked at America's loss to COVID this year is 380,000. Which one of them do we make a bigger deal about? See, we are called to stand up against these things. For the people who can't speak. There's so many other issues we could talk about here. We don't have the time. We're called to love others and care for them and stand up for them in a time of need. Do you stand up for others in a time of need like Jesus would. See, we believe that as believers, we are all oppressed by sin, and we know this. And God interceded and stood up on our behalf so that we can be saved and reach fulfillment through Him. Let's move on to our third point. So we've covered as Christians that we believe that God's grace is not separated from a sanctifying power and purpose. We talked about how we're supposed to love God and love others. Now let's talk about how he has equipped us to combat the spiritual forces. Ephesians 6.12 is one of the best verses to do this. Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We need to understand that we are not fighting a political and an earthly war. We are fighting for the kingdom of God. So if you're more worried about politics and the things going on in this earth than you are about the kingdom of God, you're in the wrong. We are here to serve Christ. That's what we're supposed to do, and he has given us the ability to do that, and he has equipped us with things to do that. The three things we're going to talk about are God's truth, or his word, the Bible, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and Prayer. These are the weapons we are used to fight off Satan and his advances because he can do nothing to those things. First, we're going to talk about how we believe in God's truth. See, the devil is all about deceit and lies. He takes a little tiny bit of truth and a whole lot of lie, he mixes it together, and we believe it. We've been falling for it as human beings for thousands and thousands of years, since Adam and Eve. The only thing that can break apart lies is truth. It crumbles it. There is nothing that can stand in the way because it's God's truth. And to stand up against this stuff, to stand up against the things that we see coming, we see in our culture, we need to speak the truth. Well, how do we do that? We internalize the Word of God, we make it known to ourselves and make it known to others. Because when it comes, it will stand no chance. Ephesians 6.14 talks about the armor of God. We're told to put on our belt of truth to hold everything together. One of the first things I ever taught in kids ministry was the armor of God. I had this weird little um, guy with all of his little armor pieces. I wish I had a picture. Uh, But one of the stories that went along with the armor of God was uh, I brought like one of my pair of pants in, which is much bigger than like the eight and nine year olds we had at that point. And Uh, what would happen was, is if the belt was gone, their pants would fall, so they're missing their belt of truth, their pants would fall, the lie would show, and you would look foolish. And we talked about how truth is the thing that holds everything together. Now we need to talk about how we are armed with the Spirit's power. The Spirit's power, this is a passive supernatural ability that all believers have. This is the God-given helper, the Holy Spirit, who comes and helps us in time. It's ultimately through the Spirit that we're called to God, that we're called to do bigger things, that answers those questions we don't know how to answer. Some verses that give us some reference on this uh, on the Spirit, 1 John 4:4, 4, 4, greater is the one in us, Romans 8:26. The Spirit intercedes in our behalf. James 5, 7 through 8. We resist the schemes of the devil through the Spirit. See, the Spirit's power is given to help us. It is through this power that we resist the schemes of the devil. In Western culture here and in Europe, we're going so fast-paced that we don't slow down and really pay attention to stuff. But when you talk to missionaries you still hear about those things where the Spirit's power is great, where it's casting out demons, where it's making people who are blind uh, being able to see, people who are lame being able to walk, and that's through the Spirit's power. As we combat the spiritual forces, we have uh, God's truth, his word. We have the power of the Spirit, and to round out our Trinitarian arsenal, we engage in prayer in Jesus' name. So we do it in Jesus' name because in Jesus' name is the only way we can go to God. He is our representative. In prayer, truth is made personal as we, me- we don't merely talk at God, but we talk to him. We have a personal relationship with God. We don't have to go to any person to get it. With prayer, we see this verse we've heard so many times in so many parts of scriptures. And this one, just from John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this doesn't mean that God's going to give you a Lamborghini, a mansion, or millions of dollars. But he's going to give you what is needed. To quote an artist who has this song, his name is NF. He does this song called, Oh Lord. And uh, bear with me as I try to go through this and talking about if God's really real then where is he you see the same God that you're saying might not even exist becomes real to us but only when we're dying in bed when you're healthy it's like we don't really care for him then leave me alone God I'll call you when I need you again which is funny everyone will sleep in pews then blame God for our problems like he's sleeping on you we turn our back on him what do you expect him to do It's hard to answer prayers when nobody's praying to you. There is a lot of truth in those lines right there. See, when things go wrong, the first thing we do is we go to God. That's probably maybe the only time we go to God is when things are going wrong. And then when the things are going wrong, we blame him for it. Instead of going to him in prayer always, making it a part of our life We're supposed to be constantly in prayer, constantly in connection with him, not just when things are going wrong. How many of you truly pray during the day? How many of you mark off a time in your calendar where it's just you and God, and then you pray for the people you say you're going to pray for, instead of just saying, yeah, I'll pray for you? Or instead of just making it a habit where it's just going through the motions when you pray before dinner or breakfast or lunch. But you actually pray with intent to connect with the God who gave you love. We believe that we are suited up with this armor of God. Because the schemes of the devil have no chance at getting at us with God on our side. It's not like a good versus evil movie where they're really close and the bad guy wins at first and the good guy has to figure out how to beat the bad guy. No, the good guy just destroys the bad guy. It's nothing. We know we don't have fear. This is not an earthly or political war where God is in control of all this chaos in the world. But he is leading us in this spiritual battle. And we need to obey our leader, Jesus, as we go through this battle. And that's our fourth point. We believe as believers, we have to be obedient to Christ. We know that our victory is already assured. The work on the cross and him rising from the grave has cured everything. Even though we see all this Genesis 3 stuff, this brokenness in the world, we know that he is already created the victory Colossians 2:15 tells us this when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him so we have to be obedient in these two ways one of them is to make disciples another one is to witness the gospel in both word and deed first let's take a look at uh, making disciples. Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, as followers of Jesus, we need to be making disciples. Why do we do this? Well, we need to be, because he's telling us to, And because we get to be an active participant in what's going on. For me, it made me think of, if you've ever helped one of your parents, like, I used to help my stepdad work on the car, and he'd let me come and hold the flashlight, even though I'd probably hold it in the wrong spot in the first place. It's we get to be a part of something bigger. One of the ways we do that is by making disciples. You may ask, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who humbly learns from Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that he may become more like Jesus in the process that will take a full lifetime. See, a disciple is not a special type of person, a special type of Christian either. It's all of us. We are all disciples. We are all learning from Christ. We are all learning from other people how to be more like Christ. And we are called to be training other people to learn more about Christ. We are not called to keep our faith to ourselves, to sit on our couches and to be at home. We're called to be out there sharing the gospel and telling other people. Because ultimately, if you sit on your couch and you're at home and you're keeping your faith to yourself, that's selfish. If this is the true hope in your life, you're going to be sharing it with everyone. It's not going to be kept inside of you. No, I'm not telling you to go and find the person who's closest to you and younger than you and make them your disciple. You can be doing that through prayer, asking for someone to disciple, probably asking someone to mentor you as well. Have you ever wondered why youth leave a church sometimes? Maybe they don't have a godly man or woman looking out for them and discipling them and pouring Christ's love into them. Have you ever truly looked for someone to disciple? See, as we disciple people, we're going to teach them about Christ. We're going to share our testimonies of his work in our lives, and we're going to baptize people. For me, I remember when I was baptized, it was at a beach weekend when I was 17 years old. Pastor Greg at the time baptized me. And I think looking back now, I, I realize how huge that moment truly was. That was me declaring to everyone that I am on Christ's team. I am his. And I declare that I believe what he did. And I was going to make doing what he wanted me to do a priority in my life. So we were called to get baptized and then baptize others. So I ask you, if you're in Christ, why have you not gotten baptized yet? We're called to do it. We are saved, and then now we're called to get baptized in obedience to him, to show others in our church, to show other believers, other Christians, that we believe what Jesus did. He died on the cross, he rose from our grave, I believe in what he did, and I am showing it to everybody else. If you're a Christian and haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? And on the same note, if you go to a church and you go there locally, why are you not a member yet? Next, let's talk about how we are supposed to witness the gospel in both word and deed. We see in Romans twelve 2, we're told this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not let the things of this world run your life. If they do, they will ruin your life. This is telling us that we are to spend our whole entire life going towards Christ. Because if we spend our whole life filling it with all the things that the cultural Christmas tells us to do, to fill it with food, to fill it with just being around people, giving stuff, getting stuff, then you will ultimately be sad at the end the only thing that will give you fulfillment in your life is through a transformative relationship with Jesus. That is it. Believers, we know and we believe that we're supposed to embody Christ and share it to other people. We aren't keeping it to ourselves. How do we do this? Well, we understand that we are part of his purpose we're part of his power in his grace as we move forward in the Holy Spirit's power. We're going to act in love. We're going to show love to God. We're going to show love to others. We understand that he has equipped us with tools, with his word, the truth, with the Spirit's power. He has also equipped us to speak about him, to go disciple other people, to, make, to baptize other people. We as Christians believe and understand we are only made perfect through him, nothing else. I think about a lot of choices in my life I've made, especially the ones I've made without Christ, the ones on my own. They were all wrong. As I prepared this message, I didn't truly feel qualified to teach on Christian living because I don't embody it perfectly. It's only made perfect through him, through his power, that I can do anything correctly. I go back to the thought, well, why did I choose youth ministry? Everything that's going to go along with it when I didn't really pick it. See, God has made it a calling in my life for as long as he wants it to be a calling in my life. When you bring Jesus into your life, just like I did, he runs it, and it's better when you let him run it. So, now that he's been brought into your life, do you let his spirit truly run his life, run your life? Let's pray. God, we pray for everything you've done. The sacrifice of your son on the cross and the resurrection that came with it. You fixed what we need to have fixed. It's more than we can ever hope to repay. Instead, I pray that your spirit can run my life. Because if I run it, it's going to be one out of selfish and pride. But with you running it, it's going to be one filled with love for you. And love for others. And that's how our life is supposed to be ran. I pray that you can bring myself and for others in our congregation. As we learn to love others more like you do. And to stand up for others like you do. And for your hand as we fight the spiritual battle as you lead. I pray for everything that you've done. And I pray in the only name I can. That's your name, Jesus. Because that word has true power in this world as we live like Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.